We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Fucking thing sucks. All right, so we're back with another live episode this week. We are gluttons for punishment. We had to do a whole second episode this week just to read more of this fucking cringe Pete Buttigieg article, and it's so fucking bad. So uh, back again, myself, Mike Him, and Nikki Him, and Levi Him from the Intervention Podcast. Uh, so yeah, we're going to read through the second half of this article, and I don't know, I mean, I think you guys all probably listened to the Chapo episode that was talking about this article as well. It seems like everyone in like the left space who has any kind of content whatsoever found this article and had to dine out on it. And it's like, I'm glad we got to it first at least. And I don't think we said too many of the same things that Chapo said, hopefully, but uh, yeah, I mean, we can finish the rest of it and hopefully not plagiarize them too much, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I listened to it, but I mean, they were funny, but I don't know. I don't think they dove nearly as deep as we did into it. I mean, given just given the fact that we have a part two of it. So, but it was yeah. one of those things that like, I saw this and I was like, Dude, Chapo's going to do it. Trillbilly's going to do it. I knew it, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for them, I guess it was one thing that they covered in their episode. So, like, of course, they didn't go as hard on Pete as we are. But uh, I don't know. I just find this endlessly entertaining. It's like, for me, I don't know. I always really liked it on Prol's Pod when they used to do the Seeing Red segment. Like, something about that. It's just like, I like stoking that kind of just anger. And it's like, it definitely allows me to rant, first and foremost. So, yeah. But if you guys want to pick it up, we left off the part where they were talking about, it was like a, kind of transitional question they were talking about the masculinity crusade of tucker carlson and they only mentioned the testicle warming and they just like says end the rest as if there was like we mentioned how that's like far from the worst of the things that tucker carlson says but so pete was maybe skillfully using this as a way to transition into talking about his electric vehicle policies and everything to uh you know it's a good politician move to size up the question and talk about things that you have in the works i guess yeah so he closed or really just like doesn't have in the works well I mean, you want to <laughs> exactly. pretend that you do like <laughs> right something that he's supposed to talk about so he closes that question about tucker to mike's point by saying maybe that's why someone characterized electric vehicles as emasculating i think it was marjorie taylor green the boogeyman comes up again yeah, i was gonna say good boogeyman to bring yeah. up <laughs> was that really marjorie taylor green that came up with that isn't there a famous clip on the simpsons where they go to the electric car ride do you guys remember, remember this that one it's i mean it sounds familiar, but I don't remember it well enough. Yeah, they're like, welcome to the car of the future. And you get in, and it's like an electric car, and just like sputters along and barely moves. <laughs> it's like, I don't drive very fast. I don't go very far. Everyone who sees you in me is going to think you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, early 90s. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, that's Simpsons. some 90s shit there, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, so I guess have... Elon's credit, sorry, just real quick, to Elon's credit, like, making the Teslas go really fast and really quick, like, with the torque that they have, I guess that's probably the one good thing he did do with them. Because if they if they were slow, like, if they were in any way not powerful, then, yeah, they definitely would not attract anyone who's, like, into cars. But that's a total tangent we definitely don't need to get into. But Yeah, it's totally worth him. What was it, kiboshing the entire funding for public transit around L.A. in order to get funding for his electric vehicle transportation? But, I mean, I also, these the flip side of that is that it's like it just makes me think of it now like even with the the power that they have and as cool as they are like it's still not something that i think is going to make electric vehicles take off in the way that they would hope like obviously the expense is going to be another factor but either way i just am eager to see what pete has to say about like what his plans are for making them the transitional stage of vehicles and how we get out of fossil fuels but so we can get right into uh, virginia's hard-hitting questions about electric cars are they not 
To me, a car is a car. Actually, the electric truck has got more torque than a regular truck, and it'll tow just as well. And yet, EV's unaccountability fall on the femme side of the ledger. Like Impossible Burgers. Right. A lot of this discussion about masculinity doesn't have anything to do with the immediate function that's at stake. I'm thinking about burgers, right? I love a good cheeseburger. I hate a bad veggie burger. I like a good veggie burger. The Burger King Impossible Whopper with bacon is not a bad combo. Do you think he like, got paid for that? That name <laughs> drop? As he's like holding up the freaking Whopper. <laughs> product, product placement, baby. Let's go. It's a really good way to make money. I thought you were supposed to be smart or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he considered it in his, in his cathedral mind. Likewise, when it comes to driving, and we're back to Pete, I mean, there's a, there's a very literal, physical, technical sense in which power is at stake when you drive. It feels good to be driving a vehicle with a lot of power. The vehicle I get around, in D, get around DC in is a Mustang Mach-E. The fact that Ford made one of their first electric vehicles a Mustang is probably not an accident. It has three modes, whisper, engage, and unbridled. There are propulsion sound effects involved in the different modes to help you feel conscious of the power of the engine. Clearly, we have a chance to rewrite some of these easy gender tropes. My life happens to cut across them. I like drinking beer, lifting weights, splitting wood. I'm also gay, and I like playing piano. <laughs> I do... <laughs> the... <laughs> I'll, I'll finish. I do a lot of the caregiving for our toddlers and other things that supposedly aren't masculine. It, that's such a weird way to set up that concept of gender being fluid. Yeah, I guess like he's trying to phrase it as if the, the Mustang, but the electric version is like the bisexual car. Or it's like the, the agender <laughs> car. It's like, that's kind of how it is. It's, it's like, you know, it's a little bit femme, a little bit masculine. Kind of like the, obviously, Chapo dished out on him talking about the having a, a veggie burger with bacon but like again it's that same thing it's like oh if i just mix the two things i'm a perfect centrist i get a little bit of the left and a little bit of the right and then we find the balance and nobody's happy or the thing doesn't fucking make sense the whole concept doesn't make sense to begin with but yeah i mean to me it's just like and this is like the layup point here right like we're again reverting to id poll and gender around a fucking car right like when we're in the context of the climate crisis we need to talk about de-individualizing fucking transportation to actually solve anything, right? But instead, we're talking about masculinity and everything like that. Again, I think we do need to have conversations about gender norms, the impact of masculinity in our society and stuff like that. But when it comes to the climate crisis, like the conversation is framed entirely wrong. And, and nothing in here is like, solution oriented like progress oriented like there's nothing in here about like yeah how you get electric about vehicles a, about an impossible <laughs> burger jesus christ but like i would expect him to use that as a as an opportunity to say oh this is how we're going to get these things to be more popular like these uh, quote-unquote sustainable options to be more popular with the people who oppose them out of pure ego out of pure just feelings and he doesn't do anything like that they just kind of move on to the next thing which i guess that's hopefully the question she's going to ask yeah, but he's appealing to the same embedded like masculine stereotypes, isn't he? I think to to give some credit to the consistent line that he's drawing in here about neoliberalism, he says that question that was just so head scratching about woke coke and Ted Cruz's opposition to it and this motion of Nargery, Taylor Green, and these other boogeymen, is that I think I don't know if he truly believes this, but the line I think he's trying to push is that these products, these free market entrepreneurs are going to bring about the change that's needed for the planet by pushing 
electric Mustangs, Impossible Burgers w- with bacon. I don't know why he throws on the bacon aspect. Um, but <laughs> yeah, he truly believes this is how the change happens, is people will eat Impossible Burgers and buy electric Mustangs. And somehow, you know, the, th- the second step is unknown. And the third step is progress. <laughs> Nothing more dangerous than a true believer, man. I don't know that he believes in anything. He believes in neoliberalism, I think. Yeah. And I guess that kind of empty concept just has no prolonged logic to it. Right. Well, I guess it's a force of gravity, so he doesn't need to think about (laughs) it too hard. This is the way. So Virginia responds, Your secrets are safe with me. So what's going to stop the androgen-addled Putin besotted ideologues. When it comes to conspiracy theories and extreme partisan ideologies, I found two things are true. One, it's always more people than you would think, disturbingly so. But it's also, almost always, much less than a majority. The problem, of course, is there are some features of the American system where you could be a long way from the majority and still take control of certain decisions. We're seeing a lot of a lot of counter-majoritarian movements with, of course, abortion being an example. I love that you could say the same about those two sentences about neoliberalism itself. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a crazy extreme partisan ideology that more people than you think are into, but is made way less than a majority. Yeah. Did we have somebody hop in? Oh, yeah. Welcome, DJ. This might not, might not be working yet, but either way. He'll pipe up when he wants to. Hello? You hear us? What's going on, DJ? I'm not hearing anything. Can you hear me? I mean, we can hear you, but, like, if you can't hear us, that's an issue. But I'll probably have to mute you. He's got some, like, major noise going on, too. It doesn't matter. He can't hear that, so. <laughs> oh, you know what? He won't be muted for the bots, so that's the issue. Mm. Um, I'm going to have to kick him. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> All right. I'll message um, him on the other server. Continue. Yeah, I'm just going to restart that last paragraph. So Pete continues, but facts still matter. And when a fact is challenged or a supposed fact, like, quote, the Russian Federation's army is unbeatable, end quote, right? I have to think that catches up to you. At a certain point in Russia, for example, you see those charts by region of the areas that suffered the most casualties. Just as a statistical matter, it is impossible for a false narrative to hold. The Secretary of Transportation commenting on the Russian Federation Army. It's obviously relevant to the question. Like, I just, to go back to her question, why did Putin come up to begin with? Like, how did Yeah, that's my question. Where did we get? We were just talking about electric cars, which is at least tangentially related to the Secretary of Transportation. Well, because he's getting lumped into this idea of like, because I think there's segments of the right that are adopting him on this basis that like he's like this strong, like physically strong and also politically strong leader, right? Mm. But it's just part of this Russia derangement syndrome narrative that's going around, you know? And it's just like, again, they're taking statements for granted that their readers are going to buy into no matter what. I mean, it's a weird example to use. Like, it's like really frustrating because there are plenty of things that you could use as a Democrat and say, 
This is just a simple fact that our opponents are refuse to acknowledge. And you could pick anything that actually helps people. You could say like marginalized people just deserve to be treated equally. Um, LGBTQ people are not coming after your kids. There's no conspiracy. Like anything that the right believes wrongly that they could go after right here. And they choose this one because I guess it doesn't affect anything economically or, you know, materially that they would have to, not like he's going to be held accountable for anything he says in this fucking puppies anyway, but it's like, it's really frustrating that he chooses that because that is such a nebulous thing to say is a black and white fact. You know what I mean? That the Russian Federation's army is beatable. It's like, well, of course, every army is beatable, but does that mean the U.S. through Ukraine and as a proxy is about to do it? That's a whole other story. Like, of course, the Russian army is beatable, but like, I just don't think that the U.S. doing it without actually engaging in like full on war is probably going to pull it out. And especially in like even just the four or five days since this article came out, like it's looking worse and worse. Like I was going to say, like, also, we could just like flip this on its head. And say just as a statistical matter, it's impossible for the false narrative that Ukraine is going to win to hold. Yeah. Yeah. But again, like he's just taking for granted that the readers and, you know, the people that are bought into this are going to just continue to nod the fuck along. It just feels like it's a like a, be- a greatest hits piece for the democratic aspect of running for president. We're going to talk about Putin and how it's great. We're going to somehow lump up abortion into it. We're going to talk about cool electric cars and bacon burgers that are vegetarian somehow, but none of it's going to have any heft to it. To Mike's point, he's not actually going. Yeah, to to Mike's point, he's not going to actually talk about the things that materially actually matter to people's existence in terms of the United States. He's not going to talk about, I don't know, uh, trans kids being practically murdered for the right of not having health care. It'd be cool if he said something like, yeah, we know objectively that. Public transportation is a boon for society, and it is better than having a car-based infrastructure. But that would require him actually, like, maybe then doing something to follow up on that after the fact. Now, again, not that anyone would ever fucking hold him accountable. It's yeah. bizarre. Yeah, bizarre, but unsurprising. So to get back to Pete, in here in the U.S., the confrontation with reality comes every time I get a letter of support from a House Republican for a transportation project using funds from the bill they voted against. It's shameless. But it's also reassuring that they're the first to come to a ribbon cutting when we fund a project in their community. It's a reminder that there is such a thing as true and false. These funds are helping all over the country. That's true. And one thing that's false is that it was a good idea to be against these funds. It was a bad idea confusing sentence half ass dialectics from fucking Pete Moody's <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ <sighs> so here's Virginia people like infrastructure I guess even Marjorie Taylor Green isn't pro pothole man you would think like Marjorie Taylor Green was president or something what the hell is this? I know. Exactly. she didn't say that obviously yeah Pete says exactly Everyone here cares about delivering on the president's view that the way we vindicate democracy, there's that fucking word again, that was Nick, at a time when democracy really is being challenged frontally, is we take care of the basics. In my corner of this administration, we work on things like fixing bridges and holes in the road and keeping people safe in transportation systems. Yeah, he's doing a really great job at that. I can't think of any trains that have derailed in the last (laughs) few weeks or major chemical spills or... 
the fact that people are being told to go back to their homes in East Palestine without any sort of reassurance from the government or testing being done by the government. I mean, he's really on top of things. Well, Norfolk Southern's on top of it, buddy. That's what you got. Uh, the, the, the people that yeah. caused it are taking care of it. And I'm sorry, gonna... Nick. That's called uh, neoliberalism. What are you against? <laughs> woke, woke train? What do you want the government to do it for you? Woke Norfolk like... Southern. I'm sorry. I'm still frustrated at the fact that he... I'm going back to the other answer still, like the very last line. He said, where he's talking about things that are true and things that are false. It's like... Bro, do you know how many philosophers have spent time trying to decipher what is true and what is false, like as like an objective? Like you cannot fucking do that. You'd be much better if you took like a more practical tact and said, "Yeah, we know objectively certain things are better for communities and th certain things are not." But those things again usually rely on like social programs, strong state-funded programs, like anything other than neoliberalism, cutting regulations and relying on individual solutions to problems. But of course, no, I think it's actually better if we solve all the potholes in the road just individually. Like. <laughs> <sighs> No, also not to uh, forget to mention the like 30 tons of explosives that went missing from uh, that train that disappeared or something. I don't know about that. That's I did hear about that. I was glad you mentioned it. I forgot. But by the way, welcome, DJ. Your mic is working now, so welcome. But Thank uh, you. I wonder what happened with that. Like, what are, where are the 30 tons of explosives? Like, hopefully there was just a hole in the train and they leaked out gradually. And they're just like, what, spread out? But like, probably not. <laughs> a lot to leak out and not notice it. How do you lose track of a train? can only go one of two directions. <laughs> well, not here. I mean, sometimes they uh, they go sideways off the rails. <laughs> sometimes so they blow up. That's just disrupting trains. American trains play 3D chess. Yeah. But to get back to Pete, another major goal of ours is to reverse the rise of roadway deaths in this country. Early data suggests we may be seeing those numbers stop rising and then go down. That could be the most important thing we do here because a day's worth, one day's worth of roadway deaths in this country represents more death and destruction than a year's worth of losses across the rest of our transportation system. So maybe, Pete, and this is Nick again, we should invest in those other parts of the transportation system. Mm. More cars. Back to Pete. So given how hard we work to push the number of, for example, accidental railway casualties from the single digits towards zero, and to make sure there are just no airline crashes but no close calls with airlines, what would it mean to reverse that rise in roadway deaths which claims about 40,000 lives a year? Yeah, that's an enormous one. You notice he did that McKinsey thing? He says accidental railway casualties are going from the single digits down to zero. So he's defining railway casualties as specifically being individuals, I suppose, being hit head on by trains. He's mm -hmm. claiming that's less than 10. How many people were materially devastated by train accidents or died 10 years later because of cancer caused by chemical spills caused by train derailment? Levi, that's the EPA. That's not the Department of Transportation. That's not Pete's problem anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, that's the thing about the East Palestine shit is that like we were talking about this because it's so close to us. And, you know, the PSL did some work just talking to folks. And I know, you know, we're on it with that and involved in, you know, attending some of these meetings and shit like that. But like just talking to some comrades is like, you know, this isn't really going to we're going to hear something 10 years from now about the impact and nobody is going to be, you know, 
no one's going to relate it back to that moment with that same kind of energy. You know what I mean? Because it's going to be like, you're going to see an article in the New York times 10 years from now. And it's going to be like, Oh, you know, studies are showing that the cancer rate in East Palestine is increasing by tenfold over the rest of the country, you know? And it's like, yeah, like we know this is coming, but like everybody's like, Oh, you know, job well done. We blew it the fuck up and we cleaned it up half-assed. No, what's even worse is that they will have articles. They will absolutely talk about it being related to Palestine, and there will be like GoFundMe's for these people. But the insurance companies will absolutely still deny them their coverage, um, and that will be news stories too. They will be like all these sob stories, and those people will be on MSNBC and everything. Like again, it will make national news, but still, there won't be like widespread enough solutions to actually help all the people. It'll just be like, you know, like the people when there's a disaster, and like twelve out of a thousand people get helped by like the charity or whatever. It's like it just sucks for everyone around. It's even more devastating because these people aren't capable of getting help from charity because the governor refuses to give them the right of a declaration of emergency. He's even stepped in and stopped charity fundraisers in Cincinnati because he's claiming that it's not a disaster. Therefore, this privately rented uh, stage can't hold a fundraiser. Jesus Christ. I mean, it's way more dark and devastating uh, than just it's going to get worse. It's more like it's being pushed to become worse by the state government. Yeah. I'd also like to point out that this is the first time uh, and the last time airlines and railroads are mentioned by Pete Buttigieg in this interview. And airlines and railroads are probably the two defining mistakes of his tenure as Secretary of Transportation thus far. So what you're saying is he successfully sidestepped those (laughs) for this entire interview. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, to remind people what the first line of this interview is, the curious-minded people judge holds as much of its functionality in reserve, even as he discusses railroads and airlines, but he doesn't discuss railroad and airlines. So the rest of this is just, uh, I guess, the reserve. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the most he's saying is that the country needs to stop being so damn sexist and these problems will resolve themselves. I mean, is that a fair kind of like assessment of what's going on here? I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is to blame somehow as well. Yeah, yeah I love these. It's, it's like he's pointing at like the, I mean, I guess this is the typical politician move, but pointing at the things that he's been doing well, like no trains have run into each other. No airlines have crashed into each other. I guess things are okay. It's like, yeah, I mean, kudos. But talk about the things that, did go wrong and how you're materially fixing them. What are you doing to make sure this isn't going to happen again? Or what would you do if you were running for president or what policies do you believe Joe Biden would push in order to make these not happen again? But he can't because actively Joe Biden pushed a deal on the railroad workers to ensure that it's going to happen again. Yeah, uh, and I feel like it's sort of like minimal levels of accountability for him to even like need to give good answer like because it kind of just kind of just seems like if he just stays out of the like press too much and doesn't have to answer too many hard questions he's going to be having a safe job at the end of the day but we have virginia here hitting him with the hard questions i was going to say this is like a a, a journalistic crime to not push him even an inch I mean, I think he does a really good job of just exemplifying the neoliberal mindset, which is that, yeah, some little progress is being made, 
it may be completely ineffectual. It may be even in the wrong areas that do not even serve the people who are the most underserved or need the most help. Um, but as long as I'm just acting like I'm making a good faith effort, you really can't fault me. And all of those other things that are happening, like no matter how atrocious they are, um, yeah, that's just kind of par for the course. And what can we really do about it? And like, it's just never any kind of acknowledgement that things could be materially better for so many people if we were willing to just put a slight dent in the profits of the wealthy, like just a slight dent, not even like drastically curb them, but just a slight dent. I mean, we already know that his internal logic doesn't make any sense. His claim is that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene or those resisting by calling things woke are what's preventing modern neoliberalism from functioning to create a better opportunity for everybody. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Anyway. Think, are we about halfway through the last half of this article? Because we're, we're half an hour in now. Yeah, I think so. So I'll, uh, I'll take up Virginia's next line. Do you think the administration's work on the basics is getting through? Every time I go to celebrate a new bridge, we have a great time with local leaders who fought so hard to get it done. But it bears little chance of penetrating the national news of the day. Our task here is to deliver so much good news that the volume of it outweighs the tendency to focus on what went wrong. I think we might do this. One formulation is that we've delivered the most significant economic legislation since FDR, the most important infrastructure initiative since Eisenhower, and the second most important healthcare work since LBJ, all while dealing with the first land war in Europe since Truman and facing the biggest public health crisis since Wilson, with the, slimmest, with the slimmest governing majority in Congress in almost 100 years. We see it that way, and you think, well, yeah, that's right. We've got to shout that from the rooftops. Wait, what important health care work did he do that even overshadows in the claim being Obamacare, right? I just I literally I think can't that's, think I of think, what he's talking about. I, I think he's talking. I think he's referencing like the first being Obamacare. Maybe oh, so the, we being the Democratic Party to the pandemic, like uh, the pandemic policies, even though they were a failure. Uh, overwhelmingly, he's just sort of like we did important healthcare work over that time. Yeah, he's not even touting an accomplishment. He's just saying we did work. It's like wow. Never mind that it like was nowhere near enough, even compared to similarly developed countries, like um, or even just like less developed countries like cuba like damn like it was really bad but let's we, hey it was work it was work yeah, guys listen, people went to the hospital That's what <laughs> I mean, they didn't get treated at the hospital but they went <laughs> from from a certain lens like all of these claims might be true you know like i don't know i mean we, since fdr we've entered a pretty bleak era of just reaction which is neoliberalism right so it could be true that like maybe like the stimulus checks amounted to the most significant economic legislation since FDR. It could be true that like, you know, this is the most important infrastructure project since, you know, the highway project from Eisenhower. And maybe it is true that what they did for healthcare is the best since Obamacare. But what we should be saying is, is this, is this nearly enough? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is not like they're, they're trying to celebrate these things, you know, just because you can accept them as true. And it, like the, to me, that just speaks more to how fucking bleak it's been and how bad it's been. Not that we should be celebrating what they've what minimal fucking gains that they've accomplished here. This is nothing. 
This is nothing for the richest country in the world. So it's like, get out of here with this shit. Even if it's true, it, it doesn't mean anything. And it means nothing, too, because uh, we shouldn't have to have been told that we've uh, made all these accomplishments. We should just be able to look outside and see them in our hospitals, in our towns, our cities. And he's just going on saying, you know, we made all these accomplishments. Well, you know, people live in America. They know, you know, what it's like here. And they're not, they don't need to be told by uh, some dude up in the bureaucracy that, you know, we're making all these accomplishments. They live the life every day. We know what it is. We know. Right. We see it. it. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that he has to go on and tell us about all this, it's a bunch of bullshit, basically. Going back to uh, the neoliberal mindset, like that is literally what they think is that people just have a false, falsely negative impression about the U.S. and its accomplishments because news is sensationalized and because if it bleeds, it leads. So he's saying right here in the first paragraph, he's like, you know, we build all these bridges, but that doesn't make any news. And, you know, we try to celebrate it. We try to drown out all the negative. And it's like, Pete, like I could see like, OK, I, I have a feeling if we ask some neoliberals to come on this show and talk to us about like the state of the U.S., they would think that we are literally just so inundated in Russian and CPC propaganda that we know about China building railways across the whole country and giving their citizens universal health care and beating COVID in a way that puts America to shame because we are just in that bubble. You know what I mean? And they would say, actually, the U.S. is just is also doing well, but you guys are just kind of wrapped up in all your tanky propaganda. Now, I'm willing to I'm just willing to accept that I'm wrapped up in a bunch of tanky propaganda. And if there is like news coming out of hostile countries, I'm probably seeing it because why wouldn't I? You know, like I'm not a fan of the U.S., but. I don't think that that changes the material conditions. Like if you polled most Americans and asked them, are they materially better off because of any programs that the government has instituted in their lives in the last 10 or 20 years, what are they going to say? Like, are they really going to say that Obamacare changed their lives or that infrastructure projects or that like whatever, um, I don't know, what was he talking about? Like the the infrastructure initiative or like, I don't know, like whatever programs Biden has been trying to pass, like. I, yeah. I just can't think of any. There's nothing off the top of my head that really drastically and materially improves people's lives, like being able to get across your entire country on a high speed train, uh, having universal health care implemented when there's a pandemic and then keeping it afterwards. Um, just like lifting people out of poverty on a scale that's like unbeknownst to the U.S. Like these are things well, that really make people's lives differently, feel different. And they can see it like it's tangible and yeah. like all the stuff that he has to tell. Like you guys are saying the same thing that I am, but just like there's a reason that we know about our competitor country's accomplishments more than we know about our own. And it's not because I just don't legitimately think it's because you guys and I are so wrapped up in our uh, Putin propaganda. Like stuff is actually being done in countries that have functional governments that don't just work on the principles of profit and have corporations writing all their policies and dictating what they do. Well, yeah, go ahead, DJ. All right, thank you. Uh, he makes really good points, but I think what he's forgetting to remember is America number one. America mm. always number one. And as long as the majority of Americans believe we're one no, number one no matter what, our, the possibilities of uh, what we should even expect from these politicians is going to be less and less. So for a long time, people were wrapped up in that American exceptionalism idea, and it's sort of fading now, but it's still very prevalent, and it's just like, what is possible and what our expectations are going to be as a society in general. I feel like, you know, as long as we believe this idea that we're going to be number one, no matter what, then it's like, it doesn't really matter what we get done because we're all still believing in this idea at the end of the day. But like, 
And no, and I hear you, but like, so I think the point is that you're saying, I agree with you is that they're relying a lot on rhetoric here to push this through, right. To keep people bought into that narrative, but they're not even investing in the cheap commodity of rhetoric. Right. And they're not investing enough, right? Like we're doing a series that Levi's starting on the new deal. And like, you know, it's not necessarily material, but you know, we're talking about FDR's rhetoric and shit like that, like with the fireside chats and shit like that. Like if you really want people to buy into this and actually be looking for some of these alleged changes that are going on. And I'm just critiquing like the Democrats because they just don't seem to give a fuck, but like, do do more on that front, you know, like have Sleepy Joe come on and tell people about this every fucking night, but they just don't care. They don't care enough. You know what I mean? And it's just like, oh, we lost whatever. And like, again, we know we know who they are and what they are. But it's just like even the rhetoric to have like this puff piece and wired as something that kind of drives us along. Like this isn't going to get people to buy in either. I mean, yeah, they don't believe. I mean, the, the rhetoric isn't even a show for them. It's like they're just letting it sort of fall apart. Right. Like if they really wanted to pass something, do you think they would let the parliamentarians stand in their way? I mean, George Bush exactly. didn't even let the parliamentarians stand in his way. He fired the person the moment they fought against his tax cuts. They got a new parliamentarian and they got the tax cuts through. Do you think Joe Biden could have done that? Sure. Did he want to? No. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's what I'm saying is that they're not even invested in like the most cheap aspect of actually pushing this shit through, you know? Fight. Nothing. I mean, that's the thing that, that's all that Trump could offer was the rhetoric and the excitement. And he would talk about pushing through these things and it put him up as this sort of like fighting president. That's why people loved him because he put forward this idea that he was fighting for them. Who out there thinks Joe Biden is fighting for them? Or thinks any of these Democrats are really like, fighting for really? them. Really? You're fighting for me? No. We beat the shit out of that <laughs> that section, I think. <laughs> I really encourage people. Like, I want more people who are like in our camp. I want people to just go into like neoliberal spaces just to see how they really operate. Because, man, it is fucking mind blowing. Like, it's if you think that this article is enraging, go into like the comments section of like the neoliberal subreddit. Um, What's another one like where they just don't like lefties and they consider themselves progressives enough Sanders spam. These are people who are still mad about Bernie Sanders just existing. Um, oh my God. There's all these like subreddits and I'm sure that the similar forums exist on like Facebook or different other social media sites, but like they legit believe that like Biden has done a lot and they will list all these different things. And I haven't heard of any of them. It's so crazy. Like they start listing all these measures and bills that were passed. And then if you start digging deeper into them, you'll see that, some of them are just like proposals. They're not like, they don't really have any teeth to them. There are a lot of like uh, suggestions for things that corporations should do better or that states should curb corporations with. And again, no real enforcement measures to go along with them. But uh, yeah, a lot of um, stuff that is going to show up in infographics in the next six to eight months as the election cycle starts to ramp up, like you're going to see the white text on a blue background with the Biden logo at the top. And it's like 40 different things that, no one has fucking heard of because it hadn't hasn't changed anything about their lives. <laughs> like half of them are tax credits for things to write off. No, I mean it's going to be that's innovation, sir. That's going to be phrased as a uh, business spurring. <laughs> God, I love it. All right, Virginia, you're up. That's enough on transportation <laughs> from Pete. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's worth uh, 
lingering there because that is the one thing that he has the most immediate influence on is fining and putting people to task for violating transportation laws in the United States. But that's not what his interest is in. You know, that's focusing on the bad stuff. You don't want to focus on the bad stuff. Anyway, Virginia has something to say. Let's talk about Christianity. The first time I heard you say Christ and not Jesus, I figured out you were an Episcopalian. You also could have just looked up his Wikipedia. (laughs) I didn't know that was a tell. I'm not sure if it is in the books as a tell, but that's how I read it. So how does your faith influence you? Well, every policy decision I make should be equally fair to people of every faith and no faith. It should be as defensible to me as somebody who is religious as it would be if I were not. At the same time, you can't help but notice certain rhymes between your religious convictions and the choices you're called on to make in a job like this. There's a lot in the faith tradition that I hold close about, quote, the least of these, in parentheses, the imperative to help the needy. This doesn't just go to the worth of your choices, but even your worth as a person, which depends in no small measure on how you make yourself useful to those who have the least power and the least means. When you're making public policy, you're often asking yourself, how does this choice help people who would have the least going for them? So that's part of it. What a bland fucking interpretation of Christianity. We're fucking building anti-homeless bus stations. Now, do you guys think for a second that Pete would hesitate to mention if he had some kind of like concrete things that he did in this direction of like what helps the most people? Like if everything he had done in his tenure as a Department of Transportation head had not been to cater to, I guess, what are like the the major railroad companies or uh, privatizing whatever. Like my point is like when he listed all those other things earlier in his previous response and they were like, really stretching for like what were the accomplishments in the last few years i feel like if he had even some named bills that he had taken care of that would really give more people access to transportation or again improve things in material way we'd be hearing about them right here in this response and the fact that we're not is telling 100 like he can't even give you like the half-assed version right like that we could look into and say hey like here's how this didn't actually help the most marginalized and the most needy Right? Like, he can't even give you one specific thing that we could dive into and dissect. Or he could even, like, claim responsibility for, you know, that's pretty low-hanging fruit, the lawsuit against Norfolk Southern. Even though he had nothing to do with it, he could claim that he's trying to work towards creating justice in the situation. But, of course, he's not going to do that. It would be be competitiveness. That was just anti-competitive behavior of Norfolk Southern. It wasn't anything unjust. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he could. He doesn't even really talk about like he could claim that he's forcing the uh, what was that airline that just dropped everybody's flights? Southwest. He could claim that, Southwest. He could claim that he's forcing the modifications of Southwest programming, which I, I think at another interview, another points like people have said that he's or claimed that he's done. But he, yeah, to your point, he's not claiming he's done anything. Did you guys read ahead to this next question? This one is super cringe, and this is the one that Chapa spent a long time talking about because he goes into like the fucking esoteric aspect of transportation, talking about like the spirituality of roads and shit. And like they definitely uh, had a lot of takes on it, so we don't have to spend too much time on it. But it's fucking cringe. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> no, no, but it, I mean, we don't have to spend much time on it. But like, it's just wild that like he says that 
And then the follow-up from Virginia starts with running DOT seems to suit you. Yeah. It's like, what the, as we, I, you know, I know we're repeating ourselves a lot tonight, but like, what about what he says seems to indicate that like he's suitable for this fucking job? Yeah. He just yeah, we haven't even, we haven't even really gotten into what the job entails because he <laughs> doesn't seem to do anything in it. <laughs> no, it just entails feeling a spiritual connection to roads and trains or some shit and planes. Like, go ahead. Which I, I guess he mentions collecting statistics, but I'm pretty sure they're supposed to act on those statistics. Anyway, here's Virginia's hard hitting question again. Running DOT seems to suit you. Are there more ways that challenges transportation speak to your spiritual side? There's just a lot in the scriptural tradition around journeys, around roads, right? The conversion of St. Paul happens on the road. I think we are all nearer to our spiritual potential when we're on the move. Something about movement, something about travel, also some of the routines that numb us to who we are, to what we're doing, to everything from our relationships with each other to our relationships with God. That's part of the reason why so many important things in the Bible happen on the highways. And then journeys. They're also just marvels. Every flight is a marvel that pulls us out of that in the same way that religious rituals, holidays, liturgies are one kind of routine that pulls us out of another kind of routine. When you get on a plane, people buckle their seatbelts and listen to the flight attendant's very predictable pronouncements. It's routine. It's almost a ritual, right? And yet you're preparing to fly through the heavens. Life is a combination of drudgery and miracles. Part of what keeps me at home in the Episcopal faith is that it is liturgically rather conservative. I like that routine. This motherfucker, like, this makes me irrationally angry. Uh, because this is another fucking neoliberal routine, which is, like, when you present people with, like, hey, I wish we had healthcare. Like, that thing that is, like, could be fucking available to everyone because we have the opportunity. And then they go, hey, you know how, like... You have access to like a microwave and people 50 years ago could have only dreamed about that or they just start doing some shit where like, you know, even pharaohs didn't have access to running water in their homes and plumbing. It's like, okay, but that still doesn't help me when I have cancer and it's so totally curable and I just can't get access to it because it's prohibitively expensive. Like this is the fucking game that they play. It reminds me of like there was a bit that Louis C.K. did on like a night show a long time ago when like he was still popular before he got canceled and he was talking about flying on a plane he's like it's amazing everything is amazing and no one is happy you get on a plane and you can fly across the country in a couple hours he's like you watch a movie and take a dump and you're from new york to california and it's like a funny joke but like again it's just that mindset of like everyone should just be content with their lot in life because you have it better than some nameless people 500 years ago and don't it doesn't push. fucking help you at all in, the, in this life like <laughs> yeah no don't push just be happy be content yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just like this whole appeal to religion is just in that same way, just an appeal to remain contented, you know, and a total obfuscation from material conditions. Yeah, don't worry about the collapsing bridges. Don't worry about the train derailments. Things you can like, fly. Yeah. And it's like a spiritual experience. It's like, go fuck yourself, dude. Like, I'd rather not worry about my life. Like, be, that, that's not the spiritual experience I want to have. I don't want it to be an existential crisis every time I go on, like, public transportation. Honestly, when I'm flying, and again, it just speaks to, like, my job, but it's most often for my fucking job, right? 
it's not for the enjoyment of flying or, you know, going somewhere with my wife. It's because I'm flying to fucking continue to participate in this shit fucking economy, <laughs> you know? So it's like, yeah, it's fucking drudgery and it sucks and I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a goddamn train. Yeah. That doesn't derail. <laughs> right. So confused about even these religious metaphors of highways. Like, what is he actually trying to argue here? I guess there is no substance. That's my fault for trying to find substance <laughs> in this. God. I guess we shouldn't focus too much on this if you're saying this is where other people have made their hay. Yeah, so I mean, we'll Chapa spent a while on that one, and for good reason. Like, it's, it's just weird. Like, to, to get esoteric about your Department of Transportation job, like, come on, bro. Like, you're really reaching. But yeah, we can move on to the next one. So, Virginia has the next word. I don't know if you remotely agree with me, but I've come to consider January 6th as a triumph of something like drudgery. <laughs> what? Or at least of the mundane. Even after terrible violence, destruction, and bloodshed came to the U.S. Capitol, Congress returned to carry out its clerical workday. The paperwork got filed. The flag of the ordinary was still there. The shit got cleaned out of Nancy Pelosi's desk. <laughs> <laughs> The last one wasn't actually in there. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There's something that bears more attention about how Congress stayed, came back, finished the job. That's real. And the fact that the Republic held is real. And another under-remarked fact is the courts did a good job of surfacing what was true and what was false. Because in the U.S. Court of, in the US court of Law, there are actual consequences to law. Are there people? Because <laughs> we all know Trump is in jail right now. <laughs> right next to Hillary, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you have to actually present evidence in favor of your client. So it turns out to be less susceptible to the warping of reality. Is this that... where he comes out that he agrees with the Supreme Court <laughs> ruling on abortion? Because oh it's God, all just dude. evidence and working out the truth, right? Is this where this is going, I assume? Yeah. You know, it's just... There's no partisanship at play here. We're just calling balls and strikes. Yeah, this is like the exact same thing that Ben Shapiro says about the courts in his defense of their insanity. Like, why are they defending this branch of government that's clearly not functioning? Who claims this is functioning? Even earlier, he said that the ruling on abortion was inappropriate. You can't say both of those things. Watch him. You know, all, all the other courts are fine. It's just the Supreme Court that's bad. But, yeah. Except when it's not. Right. <laughs> That being said, part of why we would hesitate to assign any triumph to that day, in addition to just the awfulness of it, is that we don't yet know how the story ends. Cue the uh, Soviet anthem. <laughs> when we look at moments further in history, we think of the outcome as settled and stable. We have to go out of our way to be rightly afraid of how close we came. If you study the Cuban Missile Crisis, it's a study in leaders doing the right thing, but also... The more you put yourself in their shoes, the more terrifying it is. All right, just to get really specific here for a moment, this is Nick here. If we're going to compare, if we're going to bring up the Cuban Missile Crisis, we have to acknowledge the fact that, like, despite whatever you feel about JFK or Khrushchev, there was dialogue there. And we're living in a moment that is very similar to the Cuban Missile Crisis in a way. And our leaders right now are refusing to fucking talk and engage in dialogue with Putin, right? So, again, many problems with both of those characters out of the Cuban Missile Crisis, 
but I mean, you, you, you can't make that comparison right now because we have people on our side, at least much less fucking competent and actually in touch with the magnitude of the situation. To be fair to uh, Mayor Pete here, I think the comparison he's making is the Cuban Missile Crisis to January 6th, because those protesters almost launched a nuclear weapon to annihilate Washington, yeah. D.C. that day. So we should be terrified of January 6th in the yeah. same way we need to be terrified of the Cuban of Missile Crisis. Arm- of nuclear Armageddon right now. Yeah, he's not comparing it to the possible nuclear annihilation in Ukraine. That's, yeah. that's crazy, Nick. No, you're This is right. January 6th. You're right, man. You're not wrong. I'm just, I'm, I'm sticking to where I took that. No, that sucks. Is now it completely invalidates my joke. I was going to say, like, you remember the part of the Cuban Missile Crisis where they sent over like a Cessna plane to drop a bottle rocket on the Kremlin to try and assassinate Khrushchev, right? <laughs> like that fucking joke of an assassination attempt. Like I didn't even bother looking into it because it just seemed like it was. I don't like that one was one that I might actually believe was a Russian false flag because it was like so bad. It was like literally just like what was it like a drone that dropped like a puny explosive on top of the Kremlin and Putin was not even there at the time or something like, I don't know. It was just like, it was like in the middle of the night and it specifically hit like a portico that was already crumbling and it was recorded, which I don't know. I they claim they record every angle of the, which, which makes sense. But like it, yeah, it sounded so fake. It sounded like some guy with a drone that he got at sharper image, just like strapped on a couple like cherry bombs or something. Yeah. But no, it does make me think of like, if something even like that had happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis, like we may not be here right now. But to your point, Nick, there was a very different atmosphere even during that than what we have right now. Like I would actually prefer if Joe Biden got on the phone with Putin and they just started talking like man to man the way that JFK and Khrushchev did because they were literally scared of Fidel and Shay because they were just like so gung ho. Like um, I think did this just come up on like a recent episode that we both listened to because I was thinking about it again recently too, but like Fidel and Shay were ready to fucking die. Like they were both ready to like launch the fucking nukes because they're like, what? We're gonna die anyway. Like we can't stand up to America, so fuck I mean, it. Like I'm I'm paraphrasing Shay, but he was like strap me on a fucking nuke to to Washington, <laughs> DC, you know? Like fuck. Uh, he was all in. as if you, you couldn't love that guy even more. Like <laughs> But yeah, I mean it's I think it speaks to how fucking deluded this moment is, is that we're comparing the missile crisis to January 6th, to your point, Levi, when we have like a much more apt comparison of much more magnitude. And this is what we're fucking talking about. Is this the last question? Is the last? Oh, yeah, I think it's the last one. Hey, get us out of here, guys. I can't stand any more of this. Yeah, yeah. Fuck me. We definitely had less energy than like than last time, I think, but <laughs> I think it's wearing on us. It yeah. honestly did like it, it pissed me off a little bit. Like I said in the group chat, it pissed me off. Like I don't actually get angry at Chapa, but I just want to have like one thing. We have like one thing that they don't fucking talk about. Like <laughs> I know, like we can't talk about pop culture stuff because they cover everything, and we can't talk about serious shit either because Ben Norton fucking covers everything. <laughs> so it's like we got nothing. And of course, we all know that like our audience is seriously infringing on there so it would be terrible if we overlapped right like yeah. <laughs> we're doing such numbers that it totally matters <laughs> right exactly so virginia gets the last question in here how do you think this particular crisis will resolve i think a lot now about the worst experience of my life the critical hospitalization of my son he was treated with rsv which is a respiratory disease like many viruses it takes a certain course where it gets worse and worse and worse it reaches the worst moment, and if the patient survive, survives, then it gets better and better. 
the terror of it as a parent is the only way you know it's getting better is when it's stopped getting worse. There are a lot of things like that in the world. The conditions of our democratic institutions. We don't know how much rougher things are going to get before things get better. It's actually a legit point. Like We just literally do not know if the U.S. will continue. I mean, we kind of know. We, we know a little bit if the U.S. is, if the US is going to keep getting further into fascism before it gets better. But uh, yeah, it would be great if like you could recognize that, uh, what do you call it, dichotomy? Not dichotomy. If you could recognize that analogy and then say, look, we should be instituting the full-on most intensive cure for the disease of this democracy. But again, that would require like how your institutions enable the fascist rise. But, but what's crazy about this analogy is that he thinks of himself as, you know, Secretary Buttigieg puts himself in his own shoes. But he's the virus in the case of the United States. <laughs> he's the one pushing for these things to get worse and worse. He's calling for deregulation and anti-democratic processes. So it's a nice analogy. It's just that he's the problem. Yeah. Maybe in that analogy, you could even go so far as to say, maybe the neoliberals are not the virus themselves, but they are like the perfect like substrate that the virus just oozes right into and just loves. It's like the saline solution in the Petri dish that the virus just really loves to inhabit or something. Yeah. Go even further and say that the neoliberals are the people that say this child shouldn't be in this hospital bed because somebody else needs it who could afford to pay for it. And so they're going to kick him out on the street. Damn. <laughs> yes. Also that. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> Levi spitting fire right now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to Mike's point, it's like, I think it's going to keep getting worse. And I'm going to go back to FDR because, like, again, we're talking about it. We're going to be talking about it in the intervention. And we probably had the moments that we had somebody that was going to come along and, like, slap the governors back on and save capitalism, as FDR did in a lot of ways, in Bernie. And that's what Bernie was, like, let's be real. And they crushed him. So I don't know that anything is coming along to, to stop this virus now. No, it's just going to keep getting worse. Yep. I mean, Did you yeah, guys see I, the bottom? The last thing there is, let us know what you think about this article. Submit a letter to the editor at mail at wired.com. Like, I might just <laughs> link them these two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got two hours on you. <laughs> hey, I mean, no fault. She can join us. She can interview one of us about our views. Hey, come clap back on us. See if Tell us how we were wrong for... Uh, Thinking that Buttigieg might not have meant any of the things he said or that like any of the fucking wishy-washy stuff he was saying in here doesn't really mean much. I don't know. Tell us why we're wrong about that. So do you guys support Marjorie Taylor Greene and Putin? <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's what it would be. That's, that's like, that's the, that is like the immediate gut reaction to like these kind of criticisms, you know? Are you guys, homo yeah, just, are you guys homophobic? <laughs> We should spend some more time doing some like Marjorie Taylor Greene dunks too, I guess, just for balance. Like, I don't know, it just comes off too easy to me. Like, that's like lib territory is like to dunk on her. I don't know. I know. It's like, I don't need to. We should all just be taking for granted that like the right is bad and we're not supporting them. You know, I was, I, I was talking in the group chat on Instagram the other night about my like my little brother who's, you know, he's part of a union. He's a construction worker and, you know, he's a good kid and he's just like, He's like, it's driving me nuts. It was actually the Netflix thing that came up. And he's like, people that work with me are driving me crazy. He's like, because they're either, you know, taking glory in the fact they're getting the shit beat out of them for like, you know, just 
okay wages or like they're defending netflix for you know for basically that password sharing thing that they're going to or that they did implement because netflix deserves it and he's like you know he's like the social stuff is a given He's like, we should all just be like, okay, with, you know, trans people, gay people just living their own lives and you know, doing their thing, whatever. And he goes, but like, there's no political power. And I'm kind of paraphrasing him a little bit and shit like that. But it's just like, yeah. And that's why I have no real interest in, you know, spending a lot of time on Marjorie Taylor Greene, because there's a lot of progressive elements, even if they're not politically engaged yet a lot of progressive elements of the working class that already know that like this culture war stuff is bullshit and they're on the right side of it. And we need to do, I think, I think more importantly, we need to be pulling people out of the neoliberal sphere and like getting them further in anti-capitalism and towards like actual principled, not that we're the most one, most principled, but like socialism and communism. Yes, we are. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, so that's, I guess that's how I look at that as a long way of long winded way of, responded to that mike you have anything leva i think just to close out actually just sped read through this article by what's her name again virginia oh never mind it's not actually by her it was just linked oh. by her my bad nope i got nothing okay <laughs> no wait it is really... by her i don't know why this byline says two different <laughs> names this is by her all right so this is great closing line of this article where she wrote about hillary clinton post 2016 election Hillary Clinton did everything right in this campaign, and she won by more votes than her opponent did. She won. She cannot be faulted, criticized, or analyzed for even more than one second. Instead, she will be decorated as an apocryphal heroine far too extraordinary to be contained by the mere White House. Let that revolting president-elect be Millard Fillmore or Herbert Hoover or whatever. Hillary is Athena. Jesus Christ. And this is so, uh, why you lose. I can't believe like you found something worse than the Pete Buttigieg article like at the very last minute. Like, damn, pull that one out. Just, I uh, uh, just looked up her byline in the word politics, and this was uh, what immediately came up. So I can't be the first person that made that comparison. God damn, that is fucking cringe, dude. That was really bad. <laughs> She's oh. great, Virginia. You're invited. <laughs> Fourth Mike. By the way, like that same criticism. You know, you can't criticize Hillary for losing at the game that she knew she was playing, which is the fucking Electoral College. You cannot criticize her. She's Athena. But then mentioned by any chance to any neoliberals about Bernie losing, losing any of the primaries, uh, you know, any of the, what was it like that Jaron loves to mention? He, like he literally brought this to my attention, which is the exit polls in like one of the key states. I want to say it was like Michigan, where they were like nine times the normal margin of error. And they were always like not in the favor of Bernie Sanders. We don't get to levy that criticism and say, oh, Bernie can't be criticized. And he won, even though like he literally didn't. It's like, yeah, maybe she won more votes, but that's, again, not the game that you were playing. And yeah, I guess Bernie was playing the game where Obama can just call all the other candidates and have them drop out the night before Super Tuesday and coalesce behind Biden. Sure, I guess that's the game you're playing. But like the point is just the double standard of like who you can and who you cannot criticize for playing the game at hand. And whether they rightfully won or not, it's like, I just find that very curious. It's just funny. We're not bitter. <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking bitter, dude. I'm so mad. Like, not to rehash it, but like, I think we all still know that like Bernie wouldn't have been able to make anything better as much as we would have liked. He just, he served his purpose, turning people to what they really need to get to, which is anti-imperialism 
and realizing that electoralism will never serve you. Yeah. I don't know. I always think about that because FDR really wasn't that incredibly popular until after he became president. Like there weren't overwhelming majorities of people coming out of the woodwork to vote for the New Deal until it became legislation. Oh, and so like, could saw the benefits of it exactly. So could Bernie would Bernie Sanders have been a lame duck? Right, wouldn't have had a Congress to work with. I mean, in this parallel reality where Bernie Sanders somehow wins, maybe we could even give that he has a slim majority. Let's pretend. I mean, I just I feel like he would have at least fought. You know, people would have understood that he was trying to actually push something. He would have fired the parliamentarian at the very least, you know? Something yeah. might have happened. So, again, this is counter history, so it's not worth anything. Well, I mean, I'll put no, it this it's, way. It's worth to... Go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, I'm happier now that I've found anti-Americanism because it's a hell of a lot easier to root <laughs> against America than to root for it because, holy shit, is it not going to get any better in our lifetimes? And, yeah, I mean, if you just want to have an easier time with things, just root for the the great Satan to get worse because it fucking will. Like he will always come out right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just going to add a theoretical point, but I'll just say, you know, read Lenin as it relates to, you know, how you organize within <laughs> bourgeois parliamentary systems and shit like that to try to grapple with what Bernie could have been or, you know, what you could do in a Bernie moment again. You know what I mean? I think that's the most important thing I can say. I mean, it legit would have been worse if like, God forbid Bernie had got elected and then people like us who may have found leftism and anti-imperialism instead just became social democrats, like literally social fascists and say, oh, no, we actually need to support the mil the U.S. military industrial complex because otherwise, how would we maintain this awesome standard of living that we have on the backs of the global south yeah. that allows us to bring democracy to the rest of the world? It's like that actually would have been a worse stance to take. So, yeah, I don't know. We're definitely getting sidetracked. Let's cut it. <laughs> we yeah, get let's cut it Fuck Pete Buttigieg. Ah, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, if you really want to learn how to organize, go out and read Virginia Heffernan. <laughs> Great, just spitting facts and knowledge. Can't say enough. I'm buying Hillary's book after this. I'm with her, Virginia. <laughs> All right. Thanks. All right, you see guys. you guys. Adios, Later. personas. Later.